Welcome to Hashtag Resilience. I'm Watson Jordan, your host. I lead the Resilience Initiative, where we research and promote resilience from around the globe and back to you, our listeners. Our big idea? We can develop resilience. Our promise? We'll show you how with inspirational stories and straightforward ideas. Learn more about us and my book, Mine, Ours, and Yours, A Father's Journey Through the Life and Death of a Child at www.hashtagresilience.com. That's all one word. This episode of Hashtag Resilience is part of our launch series where we investigate what we can learn from world-class leaders in the areas of power, balance, community, and recovery about resilience. Today we're joined by Nick Stewart, and our focus is on recovery. Nick leads the group Recover Athletics. They have an app. They have the Run Healthy podcast, the Heal Strike newsletter, and the Recover blog. They're leading the world in preventive action for athletes. Find out more about them at recoverathletics.com. And listen for these thoughtful observations. Following a defeat, taking the time to assess areas of strength and doubling down on them, it's a great example of an inspired course correction. His comments about how habits and goal setting are fortified by knowing what you're fighting for. A key element of our inner circle that the people who love you also feel loved by you. And listen for this, find the answer. What is the insight to what investors value? I hope you enjoy this episode. Today, we're joined by Nick Stewart with Recover Athletics. Welcome, Nick, to Hashtag Resilience. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Watson. Thanks so much for having me on the program. I'm really excited to chat uh, and to share some views here. Good. Well, I have had so much fun watching y'all's rapid growth in the fitness and running community, primarily out of Boston, but I think you also have a national and global footprint. So that is really exciting. And uh, if you wanted to tell our listeners just a little bit about kind of what you've been doing and your vision or mission for uh, recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And um yeah, happy to give a little bit of background on the company too, just so those listening in um, can have an idea of what we're all about these days. Um, so essentially what we're building is an injury prevention app for athletes broadly. Um, what our platform allows a user to do um, is to integrate any sort of training data that they're collecting through a tracking app or platform like Matt My Run or Strava or RunKeeper and then pair that with physical therapy data um, that we collect through the app itself. Um, And essentially what this allows us to do is create an injury prevention plan 
um, that consists of top tier physical therapy exercises that any runner or athlete can do when they finish an exercise and they feel something going wrong in their legs or in their body um, so that they can take the first steps on their own to proactively solve the problem um, before it blows up into a bigger injury. Obviously, um, as I'm sure you guys know, um, for runners especially, there's a huge problem with, with injury in our community. 75% of runners get injured every year. Um, but just aches and pains are something that go hand in hand with exercise and working out more broadly. And we want to be really the first stop for an athlete in helping to better understand their body and, and solve problems proactively. So um, that's, that's our mission. And we have an iOS app out today that um, is pretty catered to runners. Um, but long term, we, we see ourselves being a fit for, for any class of athlete and, and hope we can really make a difference in the lives of um, folks across the board who are just looking to do their sport injury free and, and have a, a lifestyle filled with less pain and more joy. Fantastic. Well, this is part of our launch series where we looked at kind of the foundational pieces of resilience. So there's a community piece, there was a power piece, there was a balance piece, and naturally there's a recover piece because the biggest uh, definition of resilience is around something happens, you take a fall, you get back up, you keep running. So here at Hashtag Resilience, we're all about finding out what we can learn, but you're part of our uh, foundation, so this is super exciting. And we'd just like to start out with, what do you think of when you hear the word resilience? Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I think resilience is directly tied to the word perseverance. Um, and it truly boils down to the ability to overcome adversity and to keep plugging along when you're facing headwinds. I think the idea of resilience is something that's top of mind for a lot of folks these days when um, the conditions in our country and, and really across the world um, seem to be throwing a lot of um, adversity at us. Um, there, there's we, more headwind, that's for sure. <laughs> there, there, there really is. And it's, I think, sort of unexpected. And um, I think adversity can obviously take a lot of different forms. Sometimes it's external, sometimes it's inside us. But yeah, for me, it's, I, I think of perseverance as being a, a pretty close synonym and um, just ability to keep overcome. Uh, overcoming adversity and, and staying true to what your goals are. Do you have a fun kind of story or memory about resilience that when you think about this, you kind of go, oh, I remember that. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about this over the past 24 hours. And one of the most dramatic moments of, of perseverance that I've had in my life was right after I changed colleges. So um, just as, as background context here, I, I did my freshman year of college at Bates College up in Maine, and I ended up transferring um, down to Yale University to pursue a better financial aid package. I was taking on a lot of student debt my freshman year of college, and beyond simply having you know amazing academics and, and a broad range of extracurricular offerings at Yale, I wanted um, to provide a, a better um, financial option for myself and for my family. And so I got down on campus and I'd excelled my first year in college. Um, but obviously, this was stepping up um, to a whole new level, going to a university, a much bigger school, starting as a new sophomore. All these things caused me to be pretty intimidated. And I enrolled in this computer science logic class. Um, and I had my first exam the second week. That's, that's an easy A, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was figuring. I thought, I'm sure comp sci 
logic shouldn't be too much of a problem for me. Um, you know, I had enrolled down there to, to expand my intellectual capacity and to try new things. Um, and I got a 68 on that first test my second week. Um, and I know that it's, it's a little bit of a trite example to cite um, a test that you do badly on in school as being a moment of adversity because everybody, everybody has those moments. There's nothing that extraordinary about getting a D every once in a while. But for me, it was this, like, I just remember feeling like such an embarrassment and such a failure when I walked out and looked at that paper and, and thinking that I'd made such a mistake that I wasn't going to cut it there, um, that I was going to go from having a, a comfortable school where I was excelling and financially was probably going to make it work for the long term to all of a sudden having nothing um, and having made a joke of myself in front of my family and my friends um, and all the people who'd supported me in taking that leap. and. And it was it was really hard. I ended up having to drop the class and and take only a partial course load that first semester. But what it caused me to do was think more creatively about how I was going to be successful and realize that I, I couldn't cut it with the best in every area. I needed to focus on my strengths. And I, I had had in the back of my mind that I was going to be a lawyer. And, and so what I ended up doing was basically just doubling down on that passion. Hmm. Um, and I, I applied early to a program in the law school um, and ended up becoming part of this class of inaugural human rights scholars at Yale back, back then in 2014. And it, it just opened up tons of opportunities for me. I ended up actually discovering entrepreneurship through that program, through a social venture that I interned with in India. But I, but I ended up taking that crazy tangent and effectively like running away from Yale College um, and into a graduate school program because because of failure on that first exam and feeling like I didn't belong. You know, but you, you, I heard you say something that I just want to double back to that I think is key for the listeners. There was a mo- there was a challenge, and you said I doubled down on my strengths, which is key because all of us have a range of things that we have strength at and where we struggle at. And it's good to participate on the spectrum. But on something like what's my major, going to strength is a key characteristic of people who are successful. So I say gold star in that moment for focus on strength and let that be kind of a North Star for you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I I felt like I was just making the best with, with what I had at the time. And um, and I think you're exactly right. There's perhaps like a broader um, subtext there for anybody, which is that, you know, when one door closes, another one opens. And that sometimes when you get smacked in the face with failure, if you just take a step back and figure out, realize that you are good at some things, even if others are, are weaknesses, you just double down on those and, and keep plugging. Go to strength. And that kind of is under an umbrella of, I want to do things in my life that I think are fun. So more fun, good at it. And it also lets you know if you're building a team, there can be people on the team who are good at things, really talented, that are a real challenge for me. So fantastic. So that's kind of a story and a memory, which is really wonderful. Do you have someone who you think of as being particularly resilient? Yeah, absolutely. I think right now my brother is an amazing example of resilience wow. and what he's going through. So as I'm sure many of the listeners here know, the conditions that this graduating class from college is facing this year are some of the toughest 
in terms of the job market that have been faced by any American generation since the Great Depression. And my brother is is no exception to the rule. He's he's back at home with my parents right now. And just, you know, a little over a month ago or maybe six weeks ago now, we were celebrating um, a job offer that he had signed from an amazing tech company here in Boston called Toast and and just really excited that my parents had, had basically shepherded him through college and and now he was venturing out onto his own and was clearly um, going to be successful in the wider world. And and then all of a sudden, in a matter of weeks, that company essentially had to shed half its workforce due to the, the pandemic and the pandemic's effects on their customer base, which are restaurants. And naturally, they just couldn't afford to bring on any new hires. And so my brother's job got snatched away from him. And all of a sudden, he was at home taking classes online, unable to spend time with his friends and his professors and, and coach that he built incredible relationships with over the course of his college career. But rather than feel down and feel like this job market just held absolutely no potential for him and that he just would wait it out until things turned around, he immediately just got right back on the road and started pounding the pavement to, to stir up new opportunities and um, actually ended up getting another job at, at a company called Wayfair here in Boston and, and now is going to be working from home for the summer. And and I, I just think there's an, another cool piece of this, which is that rather than do, I think, what most college kids would, would want to do, um, which is look for an apartment, move in with their friends in the city, he's decided that um, he's learned from his first experience of seeing how companies need to be flexible with their workforces in these unstable conditions. Um, and he made the call to live at home and, and work full time from home for the next year. Um, because who knows what the world is going to throw at him, but they're actually converting my bedroom into a home office for my brother, and he's going to be grinding from Concord for the next year. But I just think it's amazing that rather than feel down about the lot that he'd been given and, and the world as it is, he immediately picked his head up, pounded the pavement, picked up another offer, and then realized, I need to give myself the best chance of security and stability for the long term. And so I'm going to totally change my plan for next year. But that's what he just had to do. And I, I have so much respect and admiration for it. And what's his name? His name's Jules. Jules. Let's, yeah. when we go through the workbook, let's see which of those pieces Jules had and go, he responded really well. How would he have filled out the workbook? So I, I think we'll find that the workbook is really good at identifying just foundational pieces that led us uh, be resilient. And it's easy to take for granted. But in a story like that, you go, that says a lot about him. It also says a lot about where he is, who he's surrounded by, kind of his environment. Exciting. So we want to hit on a habit because habits are so awesome. You have a, uh, a habit that you, when you go, if you're building resistance, resilience, what's a uh, habit that comes to mind? Yeah. When I was, when I think about this, there's two that go hand in hand. I think the most important one is goal setting. Um, and I think this can be as large scale as thinking about where you want to be in five years in your life. And, and even down to the minutia of thinking about how you're going to spend every 30 minutes or, or hour of your workday and time boxing your calendar so that you have a clear objective for you know every moment of your day when you want to be productive. And goal setting is definitely something that's helped me drive my career forward um, and my personal life forward. Um, and I, I, I just can't say enough about how critical I think it is to, to perseverance and to resilience. If you don't know what you're fighting for, then it's really difficult to keep fighting um, in the day to day. 
Um, and so, so I think at a high level, that's, that's the most important activity, but obviously hand in hand with that is consistency and consistency over time. Um, if you don't set achievable goals, um, or goals that are granular enough to allow yourself to, to see yourself hit them and then continue progressing, um, then it's really difficult to stay on track. And so just, I think having the mindset that consistency is everything and consistency over time is, is critical to ever making significant progress is super important. Those two just go hand in hand for me. Great. So the, uh, under the umbrella of the gospel of compound interest, you know, that's not just about money. Yeah. That's about where your energy goes and goals. That's great. So in our workbook, we talk about three components that we think drive or build a resilient person. So the first is an inner circle. So kind of who are the people we're surrounded with? And I first heard this from a guy named Jim Rome, who said, we're all the average of the five people we hang around with the most. So, but I I wanted to hear when you read that, what you thought. And if you look at your brother, if you look at Jules, is that correct? Yep. What do you, what do you, because it's sometimes so much easier to see it in other people than ourselves. So when you think about that, what do you, thoughts, inner circle? Yeah. I mean, I think community is so important to personal success and, and happiness. I think there's almost nothing more important in life than maintaining a, a, a close inner circle and, and pouring a lot of time into your relationships and making sure that the people in your life who love you also feel loved by you um, and supported by you. So, so for me, that's I mean, a, that's a great distinction that I feel loved, but that the people I love know that it's reciprocal. So it's uh, synergistic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's great point. I think that's so important. Um, so, so for me, I would just say that um, my my family uh, and my friends almost are, are, are comprise like one circle. I, my close friends, I, I think of um, almost as my family, and and I, I don't know if that's necessarily narrows down to just five people, but maybe it's like six or seven who I I spend a lot of time with. I, I pour a lot of thought and, and time into those relationships, and they definitely have, have shaped me to be the person that I am, and. I think contextualizing it in the story of my brother, as you suggested, you can really see that his community and the support from his community has helped him make incredible decisions this year and and also helped him keep driving down the path towards success. My parents, obviously, you know, opening up their home to him over the long term for this year and making him here feel welcomed um, and and supported like he can make that his home base too, even though that isn't necessarily the natural thing for kids who've just graduated college. Obviously, that's that's so important. And and for my part, um, as an entrepreneur and somebody who's trying to build a company from scratch, having that base of people, that foundation of support, who on this roller coaster when I'm in the in the downs. Um, they, they always support me and continue to believe in me and to support my vision. Um, and then when we're on the highs, allow me to share the success and, and brag when we've had huge days. It's just a mission critical. I don't think that building a company is possible without having an incredible support network of folks who know how to respond and support you across all the different phases of the journey. Yep. Really good. And you mentioned something that I think is worth repeating. There's clearly nothing magical about the number five, mm-hmm. but one, I would go, if you only have one stake in the ground, that is not good in a storm. 
And likewise, having a thousand is a little burdensome. So finding some right number, but I think six or seven, you know, just great, really fantastic. So our next piece is community. And we talk about it's ideal to belong to three communities. And we kind of think of that, and you've mentioned this a few times, as something we invest in and something we harvest from. And I want to hear from you, but I I want to specifically ask in recovery from an injury, let's say you're on a team and you get injured, and suddenly you're not able to do all the stuff that the team's doing. Does your app, or have y'all thought about how you could provide community-type support for recovering athletes so that, because being alone, I mean, obviously a big part of this is just not being alone. So I wondered about your app and how you could help people who are injured and your own personal experiences with uh, bigger communities. Yeah, well, l- let me take the the question about the app and and how we think about developing the product over the long term to solve for that problem. Great. Um, let me take that first. Um, because I do think it's it's a really insightful point, and it's one of the parts of injury that I feel like remains relatively unaddressed, um, which is just the loneliness that comes from being isolated from your team. Obviously, as a runner or or as any athlete, so much I think of our identity can be built around our participation in the sport and the community that we build through participation in the sport. And when all of a sudden your ability to participate um, is compromised, then your ability to participate in the community goes is compromised too. The way that we're thinking about solving that problem right now in the app, I think isn't quite as as holistic as what you might have in mind. But one of the solutions we're testing this summer is called recovery coaching. Huh. And for our, our premium members um, who are who are subscribing to the app, um, what they get is a contact with a certified physical therapist. And this isn't someone who's actually providing them medical advice or attention but just somebody who's there to act as a sounding board um, so that when you finish a run and you have a question about how your body feels or you become a little worried about something that's going on with your body or, or you're not running, you're injured and you're rehabbing, you know, using a plan on the app or, or using a plan from a physical therapist that you've seen in person, just having somebody that you can shoot a message to. Um, and ask the question and set your mind at ease goes a long ways. We know that athletes respond really well to coaches across the board. And so implementing that sort of human touch through the technology, I think is really important. People respond best to other people. We, we need other people to hold us accountable for our goals and, and also just to help us fill in the unknowns. Um, and so I, I think that's just the first kind of pillar of community that we're starting to build into the product Eventually, we, we hope there are more social tools for athletes with similar injuries to connect, but um, at least for now, that's where we're focused. Excellent. So your kind of personal insight into community or, again, I think your brother is such a great example to look you know, at uh, and community in the pandemic is really a different animal. So suddenly you go, like for me, I used to go to my yoga studio often. Well, that's closed. So that community just, it's not the same as it was, but a virtual community uh, has been really fantastic. So community, what do you think? Yeah, I guess one of the, I think one of the funny phenomenon, um, phenomena of the, of the pandemic has been how some of our community collapses. 
um, into just the core team that we um, that we need to live with in in isolation or um, social distancing. So um, for me, my my girlfriend Alex and I had been living in our own different apartments with with different roommates, but we made the decision that to protect each other and to protect our friends, it made sense for us to live together. And so for the last couple of months, it's just been um, myself and her and James here in our apartment. And I don't think we ever really like would have thought of ourselves as a family or a tight knit community, but we've found ourselves having to adopt that mindset in order to have a highly functioning and and happy life in this confined space together. Now we organize our meals, we organize our trips to the grocery store, we we divide up house chores in the same way that a family would, even though we're all different people and have different lives and different schedules and and don't have that that family tie. We've had to become one um, in this pandemic in order to be happy here together. And that has been challenging and I also think immensely rewarding. And I'm sure that tons of other folks out there have had similar experiences where maybe it's the same roommates that you've been living with in the past, but all of a sudden your relationship with them totally changes when you have to spend every minute of, of every day sharing the same space and, and sharing the same routine. So I think at once there's been this cool moment to expand your community virtually with people who you don't necessarily come in contact with all the time, but Similarly, like on a very granular small scale, our communities have really changed on the home front from having to collaborate and live together in in fundamentally new ways. Yep. And it's really, we've ended up talking to a number of people, but I think anyone who has a living situation where they are with roommates or teammates or whatever the right word is, that's a big advantage in the pandemic because true kind of day after day isolation, mm-hmm. it, that's really quite the challenge. And, you know, you talked a little bit about it. An external event drives connection and it can be positive or connection, but we'll look back 30 years from now and go, oh, I remember exactly who I was with. And I remember all those funny stories and I learn to cook bread and, you know, whatever it is, but that's a real element of what's going on now. And you've seen kind of your brother kind of in the finding ways to participate in communities or has it been kind of hunkered down with your parents? Yeah, for Jules, I think it's been largely hunkering down with my parents, but his girlfriend, Grace, is a big part of his life. And I know a couple of his friends from college have been able to to stop by and I think they've been doing a lot of socially distanced golfing uh, now that some of the courses have opened back up again. Nice. Um, so I think there there have been ways for him to inject a little bit more fun into his community more recently too. Um, but but yeah, it's it's I think mostly been a, a really tight knit effort for the both of us. So that's very interesting. Let's move to core belief for just a second. That's the 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 final piece of our um, workbook. And again, it's not critical that you have a single core belief, but having a core belief, and you mentioned something like this earlier, but if you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything is kind of a nice maxim that gets at it. So when you read Resilience and Having a Core Belief, what popped into your head? Yeah, so I I have a few different thoughts, but I actually think the the most important one I've already I already stated earlier, which is that consistency over time is the most critical thing that 
any of us can do to be successful in our lives. I think setting achievable goals and then just continuing to drive at them relentlessly over time and not to be daunted by adversity or setbacks. But if you if you have an objective or something you want to do in your life or, you know, a, a a place you want to go or get to figuring out what the smaller milestones are in route. Um, and then just not taking no for an answer from anybody and finding a, a system and a formula by which you can continue just to, to chug along every day. For me, I, I don't think that necessarily, I, I don't think that I'm the most talented or, or bright guy out there. I feel like what has allowed me to be successful in my life is building awesome relationships with people who clearly care about me and who appreciate the work that I can do and then just plugging away over time. One of the uh, one of the really great pieces of advice I was given a couple of years ago actually by the the CEO of the company that I started at here in Boston called Jebit. Um, he was talking about how he was able to from the really early days get a core of investors who would believe in him um, and who supported the business um, from day one was that the, the insight there is that investors invest in lines, not dots. I love that. Yeah, I think it's true really across any, like, I don't know, any aspect of life, not just starting a company. Um, But people don't just care about somebody who dazzles on one occasion um, or who they meet a couple times and think, is super impressive or, or they're starstruck by once. It's, it's actually okay to start a little bit lower on the chart. Um, but if you can show a clear trend line of progress over time um, and show that, again, that you know how to persevere and be resilient in the face of adversity and continue just making incremental progress um, and build that line that somebody can read, um, then that's the best way to be successful. And I'd, I'd say that's, that's just truly one of my core beliefs and something that I think about every day. That's fantastic. So we're now going to jump to our always fun quick strike round. What book are you reading? Right now I'm reading Overstory. Um, it's, uh, I think I won the, the Pulitzer Prize last year in 2018, but um, at any rate, it's an incredible novel. Um, uh, it's a series of vignettes told from different characters in America across different time periods. And it's all about helping humans understand the perspective of trees. So we inhabit a character's head, but each character has an intimate um, relationship with nature and the outdoors and, and usually a different species of tree. Um, and I, I found that I really enjoy books that allow you to crawl inside the head of a character who's fundamentally really different than I am and um, who helps me see the world in a totally different way. Sometimes even the plot is is less important to me than being able to understand how a really different person thinks. Um, another book I read uh, that's similar and or, or in the same vein um, is All the Light We Cannot See, um, which was told from the perspective of a, of a blind girl in World War II. Um, and that had a fascinating plot too, and, and was truly a thriller. But um, just being able to inhabit the consciousness of somebody uh, maybe who has disabilities or who has eccentricities is so cool. That's something that we obviously can't do in real life, but um, it's one of the transformational things about reading a novel. That is great. I think one of the key elements of kind of our growth as humans is our, you know, ability to have empathy, to try to understand what life is like for someone else, someone not us. Fantastic. So, what music? do you like to listen to to get yourself going? 
Yeah, my product. Well, I would say that the music I listen to most of the time is country. Um, and right now I'm on an absolute Luke Combs tear. Uh, yeah, he's he's awesome. I love his voice. Um, but I, the music that gets me going, there's one artist that, that jumps to mind, and that's Electric Guest. Um, they're a band that was formed in L.A., I think, in 2011. They're like indie pop. Um, but they are just phenomenal productivity music. It gets me hyped and focused. And I feel like I'm really able to crank awesome work when I'm listening to them. Hyped and focused. That's pretty good. It's, it's easier to get hyped and not focused, I think. Um, so our last question, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? I think the be- I, I guess I spoiled this one, but it's it's what I mentioned before. It's that people invest in line. Good things are worth saying are worth saying twice. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's just so critical to know that people are are only gonna love you and buy into what you're doing um, if they see you being consistent over time and being true um, to the goals that motivate you. And um, it's just so important to to build that trend line in, in so many different areas of your life. Fantastic. Lines, not dots. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Nick. At the end, we say goodbye, listeners. Bye, listeners. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Take care. That was outstanding. Tremendous insight from Nick at Recover Athletics about how important recovery is in resilience. Here are a few key takeaways that I will keep with me. Family is a key element in both our inner circle and community. Empathy. Our effort to understand how other people feel, to understand their perspective, is vital in expanding our understanding of ourselves and developing our core belief. And this is such great advice that investors value lines, not dots, trends, not events. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for listening to Hashtag Resilience with Watson Jordan. Please reach out to me and let me know what you think. If you like our show, please subscribe, leave a rating, write a review, The episode notes include your main information about the show. Take a look. We're available for speaking and facilitating, in addition to our researching, interviewing, and writing. Learn more about our work on resilience at hashtagresilience.com. Spread the word.